Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Ira Lahi. How are you doing, Ira? I'm doing good, uh, Tyler. I'm doing uh, very well, actually. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're going to have a bit of a different show today. We're, I'm merging two of my worlds. Um, as most people know, I own a marketing company. I'm an enthusiastic marketer. I love all things brand. I love the power of being able to tell a good story and ultimately the impact it can have on your company's bottom line. And marketing for the sake of marketing or brand for the sake of brand, ultimately I work with companies where, no, no, sooner or later, this has got to translate to some real revenue. And you and I, Ira, met a couple of years ago through tech and through mutual mutual friends and how, how it happens in Calgary, 1.3 degrees of separation, no more no less. Mm -hmm. And we've had, this is a conversation you and I've had. So let's start by introducing your business, a little bit of who you guys are, what you do, and then we'll kind of unpack just the relationship that marketing has to sales and and how you treat it as as an industrial uh, business that works in that space. So what is, let's jump in the elevator. What is a rapid 3D? Let's, you're the president and founder. So let's start there. Uh, A rapid 3D? Well, we just call it rapid 3D, but um, (laughs) fair enough. But uh, yeah, so rapid 3D, um, we, we specialize in the use and application of 3D scan data uh, for design, inspection, engineering, um, inspection, quality, wear analysis purposes. So uh, basically companies that need to get, to get shape data off an existing object uh, for some, you know, for us mostly it's an engineering purpose of some sort or design purpose of some sort. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we specialize in the use and application of 3D scan data uh, for, for those types of purposes. Um, pretty broad spectrum too, like we work in many, many different industries and you know, broad range of customers and applications and stuff, but, but that's, that's the gist of it. We specialize in advanced uh, 3D scanning technologies. Okay, well, just creeping on your LinkedIn, because I'm a professional creeper here. So 13 years, three months. So just from the perspective of 3D scanning, of course, I know you and you and I've chatted about it. So I feel I'm more familiar with it. 13 years ago, when you started this business, and this is tying into kind of sales marketing awareness, and like, does the customer even understand the problem you're solving? How much has 3D scanning evolved in that in that 13 year period of time? Mm. Well, it's incredible. Um, you know, the 
you know, and it all kind of kind of folds in together that, you know, the, the technology within the scanning devices themselves has gotten much more advanced over the years. So speed and accuracy and data quality and all that kind of stuff. But computing power and uh, the cloud and, and everything else, you know, uh, advancing at the same or even faster pace, you know, it, it, it's made the whole experience much more, uh, you know, I would say reasonable and um and usable, the usability and applicability has gotten much better over the last 13 years. I used to say like 13 years ago when I started it, it was like, um, it was like paddling a canoe on my living room carpet. It was, that's how much momentum we had. <laughs> it was like, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't care how deep that shag is on that yeah. carpet. That's not an easy paddle. Yeah, I got so you. it was, um, I mean, there's a backstory <laughs> to that too. Like, um, you know, I've been involved with the 3d business of 3d, um, since 1994. Um, and so, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so this so, isn't, you didn't stumble into this business or this line of business yeah, specifically. I, it was something that, um, you know, you know, going way, way back when, you know, I owned another business at the time, but, you know, we specialized in 3d modeling and animation technology for, uh, industrial training applications. And, um, so the first time I saw a 3d scanner, I was like, you know, if we'd had a 3d scanner back when we owned uh, Mecca, it would have just made things so much easier and better. So even 13 years ago, um, you know, seeing what I saw, it was quite revolutionary. And, and over the last 13 years, obviously things have advanced and um, gotten, gotten much, uh, much better over, over that period of time. So from thinking about, that's interesting. Kinda, I, I appreciate that. Geez, man, if we only had this in my other business, the things we could have done, which is so often yeah. the entrepreneur journey, you see your own problem being solved in front of you and you're like, well, you know what? I know, but I'm, I'm just excited because I know other people are having this problem. Yeah. So just thinking about the journey of the last 13 years and, you know, uh, marketing, advertising and sales, we'll start by even putting them into, into the bucket, like marketing, really understanding the story, really understanding what you're putting out there and understanding the customer, how they understand it. Advertising is doing getting that message in front. And then ultimately where a lot of B2B companies really live, in my experience, is the sales side. They're out there, they're like, it's sales driven, it's sales team focused. So thinking back from where your business was 13 years ago till now, what, like, how did, you know, when you think of marketing, even how you think of it today to then, has it been a factor? Has it been like a lever that you pulled? Or has it been more, and I'm using my own kind of filter for this, more of a sales driven approach and marketing has been like uh, an afterthought or, you know, how, how has it played and maybe how has it evolved? Yeah, I think, I mean, initially, when we first started out, like people, you really have, you really have to show people how it worked in order for them to even have any understanding or any kind of clue or concept. And so, you know, it wasn't a matter of marketing to the, you know, and find the right customer. So, you know, when, when people phone or, or inquire, it's the right person or the right company. Really, at the beginning, it was like, you know, what is this and why would I even need to use it? And like, it was much more basic than that. It was, and you really had to show somebody there was no, it wasn't like there were six different options out on the uh, market and that you, um, you know, you needed to differentiate yourself and make sure that you're getting the right uh, lead. And that, yeah, I mean, you were just hoping to show somebody and, and have them want <laughs> you to do something. Right. And so yeah. I think the marketing side of it has become much more uh, of a differentiator now than it was then. And, and the, the types of applications that we have are much more specialized and, um, and, you know, companies that are out there using this technology, you have, you know, most people have some experience or they understand or have heard about it or, or, okay. or, you know, you know, they, you know, if you're in, if you're in the manufacturing business right now, Tyler, like 3d scanning is you, if you haven't heard about it, you've been living under a rock. 
wasn't like that 15 years ago, <laughs> okay. right? And so, 100%, yeah. um, you know, advanced manufacturing, industry 4.0, all these kind of buzzwords that are out there right now, you know, 3D scanning plays a role in, in that advanced manufacturing workflow. Um, and, mm -hmm. and really now marketing is differentiating, um, you know, because not every scanner is good for every application, right? And, um, and you got lower cost options coming into the market. And, you know, we've got, um, you know, accuracy and resolution. Like, there's all these things and stuff that, that factor into it that now, you know, it's not like I haven't heard about 3D scanning. I need to show someone how it works. It's like now, you know, we've got a suite of equipment that we sell and use. And, and it's, you know, you got to differentiate yourself from others in the market so that, you know, and we do. We spend a lot of time understanding who our, our, our ideal customer is. And, and marketing plays a big role in making sure that, you know, our phone isn't ringing from people that, you know, maybe isn't our ideal customer. And, and, uh, and we want to make sure that, um, you know, we differentiate ourselves uh, to the people that we want to be working with, I guess. I, yeah, I appreciate that. It's great. It's, it's, yeah, I want leads, but oh, by the way, I want them to be the right leads because the wrong leads can really eat up a lot of time. And that's just the, like the world of opportunity cost. Yeah. Like, what? If you're taking a hundred, if you're taking a hundred calls and five of them are right and the other 95 are curious, or maybe just like they're in the wrong place for what they need. Well, 13 years ago, I'd just be happy if the phone rang. Yeah. But you know, it's a little, <laughs> uh, a little different today. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so let's even go, let's go 10 years. So you're, you're three years in and like, let's talk about the marketing toolkit here. Like it's death by channels today. Like, oh my God, from social media to like everything under the sun. But 10 years ago in the world of B2B, trips on the golf course you know, for beers, go to a trade show, uh, maybe have a partner that introduced you to somebody. I I'm assuming like even your journey of what you've seen kind of evolve to the things you had access to, like say, okay, we know the, we know the message, we know the customer. We'll talk about that more in a second because knowing the customer is critical. But when you think about even your business 10 years ago when you were going to quote unquote do marketing, I'm assuming it was also you just had a way smaller suite of options to choose from. Yeah, I mean, everybody had to have, you know, even then, you know, we were, everyone had a website and that kind of stuff. I would say, you know, LinkedIn and some of these other tools, even Instagram and, and stuff like that have become much more effective marketing tools. You know, we, we had LinkedIn accounts. Facebook, I think, was a little more popular back then, I guess, in terms of that kind of stuff. But uh, those were early days. Like, we didn't really do a lot. Like, I mean, our, our marketing and, uh, and sales activities really revolved, you know, primarily around trade shows. And, and I would say that we had some, uh, some of our OEM partners like Creaform and, um, and 3D Systems, you know, they had a more advanced marketing uh, team and, um, and communication strategy that we benefited from and actually learned from as well. Early on, like, you know, we, you know, I would say that they were, uh, more than generous in, in helping us try and identify ways to get our, our name and, and market things out there and even provide content. Because, you know, a small company like uh, like us 10 years ago, um, you know, just to, just generating and developing your own content uh, for marketing purposes is, is a big job and, and time consuming and expensive. And, um, you know, so having good partners along the way, um, you know, providing some of that content and allowing us to use it, uh, I mean, to their benefit as well, but it also helped us a lot in the, in the, as we moved along. So, um, uh, yeah. 
having a strong partner and having somebody who's, you know, their main motivation is to make it easier for you to deliver their product into market, support it, sell it. And, you know, you're, you're directly part of their channel strategy and you're indirectly part of theirs. You touched on something I want to expand on a little bit. What have you seen, like when a customer now calls you and this is tying into like, oh, we can say marketing, but in B2B, a lot of times marketing means laying out good content in a way that allows your customer to become more educated on their own. And that's a trend we've seen through COVID. It was happening before. When you're getting calls now, and like you said, the sophistication of the world, and like, unless you've been living under a rock, you know what, you've heard of 3D scanning. When these individuals call you and you get that first kind of marketing qualified or sales qualified lead, when you don't know which one they are, are you finding that they're more educated? Are they taking that time to consume, whether it's your content, your provide, like your your OEMs, or even your competitors? Are they doing that homework before they call you, or are they calling you kind of more in a raw, I got a problem, do you have a solution? Or have they already kind of gone down the rabbit hole a little bit, the journey? It's rare that we hear from somebody that hasn't done some level of research or have some idea of the application. Um, you know, yeah, it's, I would say, I would say with the amount of content out there, YouTube's another one that we use a lot and our customers use a lot, our OEMs, our competitors, everyone's using, um, you know, YouTube quite a lot, you know, people, uh, customers. Um, yeah, I would say it's a rare day that someone calls and say, Hey, I, I, I heard about, or I thought about 3d scanning. I know nothing about it. And can you tell me about it? You know, they're, they're generally calling with some level of um, uh, research that they've done on their own. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, they need some more details in terms of specific applications or usability or cost or accuracies or expectations, timelines, that kind of stuff. But, but they're generally calling with some level of, um, like, they've done their research. And there's enough information and content out there that you can do a reasonable amount of research in, and, and get good information and have a good idea even on the competitive environment, you know, the different types of services that are offered, the kind of deliverables that customers or are, are, our suppliers are delivering, um, even costs, like, you know, we sell the equipment as well. And people, you know, you can get pricing, you know, some some places post their prices online, all that kind of stuff, right? So uh, yeah, definitely, you know, it, you know if, if they're calling in, uh, they've done their research and, uh, and that, it just makes it that much more important to ensure that we have our information out there because, you know, you know, we don't want to be the one group or company that um, isn't uh, getting research when they're out there. We want to be found and uh, we want people to, to call us, you know, when they have a question or if they want to know more about a, a competitor's product or, or how our stuff stacks up to a competitor's product or, or, you know, or do we travel to Ontario or Quebec and, or do we just work in Western Canada or do we do work in the, I mean, there's a million things that they can call and ask questions about, but it's rare that someone phones that hasn't done their research. Uh, I think that those days are long gone. I think you're, you're living in a pretty naive world. If you think customers going to just call you and trust everything that you said and have not done their uh, research. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop moment. <laughs> well, well, well said. So from the perspective, you said a couple things, they can do their research and obviously there's competitors putting out great content. You're putting out content. There's pricing, which can be really price shopped from a differentiator perspective, even like as a business of just offering the service that was relatively new to today. How do you think about that? Cause for me, marketing, you know, advertising, getting out there on those channels, but how much thought or how has been the journey for you to really making sure that you're 
baking in those differentiators, those those competitive advantages, those things like he's right. If we're all equal on price and we're all equal on sharing a story, well shit, if y'all look the same, then it's maybe just who I called that day. Mm-hmm. What do you what have you kind of identified as things that, you know, and over time I, I appreciate these things evolve that really make it different for you and how critical is it to get those out there? like while they're on that journey. Yeah, I, I think, you know, from a differentiation perspective and, and and it has become a game of differentiating yourself from your competitors, whether it's on the product sales side of things or on the services. And they kind of, they dovetail too, because, um, you know, we've gone to great lengths to build a team that, you know, you know we, f- we feel is probably uh, one of the best in Canada in terms of, um, actually using the technology training support and that kind of stuff and and very much focused on the end deliverable so in my experience uh and you know there'll be people that are listening to this that are in my business or industry that may disagree but um it's a rare day that our customers actually care about the scan data that's produced you know it's it's a way an avenue to get to a deliverable or a result or an end product and so um you know, whether it's an inspection report, a corrosion uh, analysis, a wear analysis, a CAD model, a design, those are all the deliverables and the and what people really want at the end of the day. 3D scanning is just a, a way to get there. It's an accurate, you know, fast, um, repeatable, reproducible way of getting to the results. And, our, and I feel like we differentiate ourselves from our competitors, um, you know, by having the capability and ability to help our customers come up with workflows that focus on it, on their deliverables or ensuring that we're we're delivering on our you know on what our customers are looking for as an end deliverable um and um and I think that that is what we feel is a differentiator for us and because I think what's what's happening with you know and happens with a lot of technologies over time as more and more competitors come into the market with the hardware stuff, it's harder and harder to differentiate one scanner from the other. And then, you know, if you're competing on price and that kind of stuff, you gotta you gotta find other ways to differentiate yourself. And I think I think we have a very, you know, we have a uh, uh, the product lines that we carry. I think are are best in class. Um, but at the end of the day, you're competing with customers, and, and you're right. How do you differentiate what we offer from somebody else? And I think. The, the level of service and capability we have in-house allows us to help the equipment shine and differentiate from what maybe other companies are, are offering. So, but it is a, it, it is a, um, you know, it's an ongoing um, battle in terms of increased capability, in, internal training. Uh, our team has to be sharp, well-trained, factory trained, um, up-to-date on all the latest techniques and softwares. And, and that, that, that evolves uh, uh, very quickly as well. So, uh, so it's a, it's it's a it's a big challenge to continually try and differentiate yourself from from your competition. Uh, but I I think from a marketing perspective, um, if you can't differentiate yourself from your competition, you're gonna you're gonna run into trouble pretty quick. <laughs> no, absolutely yes. As it becomes a sea, the sea of same, and every, and technology is always in a rush to homogenize itself that way. You've got the the leading, like when you put it out there, people not even knowing what it did to that point of like, oh yeah, no, can I get that same thing on Amazon for a thousand dollars less? Kind of conversation. So for you, and I think this is an interesting tie-in because oftentimes, oftentimes, again, we're using broad brushes here from our own experience, but hey, we're the one, we're the two talking, so we get to do that. <laughs> 
marketing is looked at as this outward facing, like, oh, we're going to go do marketing over here. But everything I heard you say is the work that I see has to go in. And sometimes where there's a gap, specifically for the industrial, where the experience, you know, there's, oh, I'm going to build my brand. The experience I have when I work with you, that's your brand. Mm-hmm. It's not what you put on your brochure and what you put out there. So curious, like, over the years, like, what have you done deliberately as an organization? Like, to, it's the old joke. The whole time you're talking, I'm thinking nobody buys the drill bit, they buy the yeah. hole, <laughs> they buy the output, they buy what they get. How have you, has it been through just working closely with your customers? Like, how have you gained that information? Because for me as a marketer, to know that you really know the customer's pain, the problem, and the solution, and what they really value, that's what ultimately makes the best marketing content and the stuff that catches and also is true, right? I don't want to read your brochure one day and hire you and then have a completely different experience the next. So has that just been through years of experience or have you been really deliberate in how you map out your different ICPs, your ideal customer profiles and their problems and solutions? Like what's that process been for you? Because it doesn't happen by accident, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it, I think, well, first off, like we're, again, going to our partners and and our internal team here. I mean, we get asked um, by our customers a lot of can you do this or is this possible or is um you know this is you know like a lot of the solutions that we've come up with in the deliverables that we've you know uh learned how to do and 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 uh, put out into industry um you know at the end you know they're often uh driven initially by uh some gap in the industry that you know a customer or a prospect or you know even our OEMs or even internally with our team here is like um, you know, can it be done, or is this possible, or could three D scanning help you know help us in in this in the, in this way? And and then it becomes a situation where our applications engineering team here come you know we look at it and say, yeah, you know what, I think we can figure that out, or or I think we have a solution for that, or and there are times where it's like you know what, we got nothing for you, we can't, but you know maybe five years ago we didn't, um, and something changes over the course of time and we're like, Hey, you know what? Like you remember three years ago when we got asked about that, I think we could probably do that now based on what we know here today. So I would say, you know, and it's like anything, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like there's nothing worse than saying you can do something and then not deliver. And, um, and I can say, and we're dealing with, you you, you don't, you don't, you you don't, you don't get to do that twice, right? You get to do that once. It's (laughs) rare if you do get a second chance. With with a customer, with, with the same customer. But I mean, we, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those cases where we do a lot of things the first time, um, and figure it out and hope that we get to do it a second time because we more or less lose our asses the first time that we're doing it. And then hopefully if somebody comes (laughs) along and needs it again. Um, you know, we can, uh, we can re- get a re- return on some of that investment. But, I mean, there's lots of tools out there too. Like, I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've, you know, we do a lot of R and D internal R and D and, you know, we work, you know, we work to try and recoup some of those dollars through thread and that kind of stuff. Cause there's, there are times where it's just pure, you need to figure out a problem, you know, a solution to a problem. And, um, you know, there, there may or may not be a customer at the end of that, but it's good. It's good learning internally. Um, but it's also applicable to other things that may come down the line. But uh, I don't know if I answered your question. Like, I, you know, it comes from all all avenues. But I would say most of the, you know, most of the hard deliverables and the interesting things that we've done, you know, like I, I think we have a great team and and uh, and a business full of very smart people. But it's our customers that really, at the end of the day, challenge us with with um, with with their challenges and and issues that they're having internally 
that you know help us focus on the applicability of what we do to their problem and to find a solution that's that's normally how it goes it's it's rare where we come up with a solution to a problem that you know we hope somebody else out there has that makes yeah that's find out where the find out where the puck's going and be, and be there. So curious from a marketing perspective, you, you touched on it earlier and it's obviously been my experience and something we work with companies to help them on is it's hard to create content. You're not, it's not that you're not creating great content internally, but it's how do you transfer that into something that now gets to exist in the outside world. So when you're working on that R and D and you're, you know, putting together some of that thinking that you you ultimately want me, the, the customer, to stumble upon of like, oh, wow, you know what? That might not be exactly what I'm looking for, but I love how they solve that problem or I love how they thought about that, the fall in love with the problem side of it. Is that something you guys have relied on or been able to capitalize on as far as a way to create that content, uh, ultimately those breadcrumbs out there for me to find the engineer with the problem somewhere that stumbles across, you know, what you guys solved? You know, one of the things in our business is we have... We have, we have NDAs with most of our customers. So it's not a, you, you can't really just, uh, mm. you know. You can't yeah, give away their no. secret so sauce. <laughs> a lot of what we work on, you know, uh, is, is under an NDA. Um, but having said that, you know, the, the tools and processes that we use to, you know, to solve that problem under that NDA or whatever it happens to be, you know, that's, that's our, that's, you know, that's our special sauce. And so typically with content development, you know, what we have to do is create our own content based on the tools and practices and, and um, deliverables, you know, that we would have. So it'd be a theoretical version of something that we know how to do, but it's not, you know, we can't share customer, we can't share customer stuff that we've done with customers necessarily, of, right? Of, but of that, course. But yeah. creating the yeah. content, um, you know, and, and, and we do, uh, Find new projects. Um, well, something that we've done. Well, it started during COVID, like when we were trying to keep the team busy, and um, you know things were a little bit uh, slow out there with people not, you know, working or buying anything, or you know, really, you know, just trying to figure out what was going to yeah. happen next in the world. Um, you know, there's a there's a whole world in um, in the aftermarket, uh, um, you know, van conversion world. The whole you know van life thing. You know, people are going to live in in their van and travel mm -hmm. around the world and not have to go to work or I don't know. Anyways, it's a, it's a huge community. And my, 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 my brother-in-law bought a sprinter van and became a digital nomad and just steals free Wi-Fi wherever he is and works because he's a coder. So yeah, I'm very familiar Great with that. lifestyle. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, what, what ended up happening and, and from a content uh, development perspective, we have tons and tons of content now because you know we've kind of developed this whole market around the van aftermarket uh, world, you know, three, you know, three D scanning vans, so these companies can design uh, and outfit and kit their their vans for for living and stuff. So, so, and we do that from time to time, where you know we'll take on a project internally, and then you know, um, you know, be able to use a lot of the content that we're you know doing for our own purposes for marketing purposes, which which I think helps a lot. And then we're not tied by any kind of confidentiality or, or kind of uh, issues like that where, you know, we can't share stuff. Yeah. You, you want to be able to own, you want to be able yeah, to own the content absolutely. and put it out there. So how is the world like from, you know, you talked about trade shows and how critical like the, 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 
the, the belly to belly kind of approach uh, and boots on the ground and all those metaphors. How's the world of digital marketing? Because you know you mentioned it, but ten years ago till now, yes, you had a website, but arguably they play a different role now. The consumption of content, YouTube, you know, yes, it was around ten years ago, but clearly it's evolved. And I've certainly seen it evolve. Like there was the consumer trends that have then quickly started to be followed, and I think COVID accelerated those trends specifically for B two B. And talking to that space, I still talk to a lot of B two B companies. They're like, ah, marketing doesn't work for us. And that's not how our customers buy. They don't go online to find information about us. I'm like, I would argue that's actually not true. <laughs> Probably just, you know, they, they don't change their life because all of a sudden they put on their B2B buyer hat. Like a consumer is a consumer and they're online. So what have you seen with the world of digital and how that's impacted you? And did you guys resist that? Did you get on board with it? What's your point of view on it? Mm. Well, we, no, we didn't resist it. We, you know, I think you have to think about how you want to approach it and what tools you want to use and, and where are your buyers going. Like, um, you know, like if we use YouTube as an example, like the instructional videos and the how to's and the, you know, the application videos that you can create on YouTube. I, I think people, like we find that it's a very um, popular way for people to do research. And, and, and like I said earlier, you know, early on, you know, trade shows, you had to show people how things work. Well, a YouTube video is pretty effective in, in doing that, right? You know, <laughs> you don't have to necessarily see somebody at a trade show. Um, you know, I find that um, LinkedIn and um, like, you know, very effective tool uh, for marketing and, and we dovetail the two of them too. Like, I mean, you go, you go to a trade yep, show and, you know, I mean, heck, if you can post that you're at that trade show with, um, you know, through LinkedIn and uh, Instagram and that kind of stuff, like, it's amazing how, how they, they work together with hashtags and all that kind of stuff. So you're, you know, in a way you're kind of marketing directly to the people that are, potentially going to that trade show and, and maybe seek you out at the at the booth or whatever. We were just at um, the mining show, the CIM uh, mining show in Vancouver early as their Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Okay. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, you know, with the hashtags, uh, CIM, CIM, BC 22 and all this kind of stuff like that, you're, you're, you're getting kind of a, a double, um, you know, you got, you know, you got, uh, you know, the, the people that you're seeing face to face, but you got all the, the people that are also following what's going on in that trade show. Right now there's one in Germany going on for, it's called Control, which is a metrology show in Germany. I mean, heck, I log into, it, you know, it's almost like being there. Like, I mean, I can go into LinkedIn and just search those <laughs> hashtags and see all the new product launches and all the posts and all that kind of stuff. So it's not, I don't think it's the same as being there, but you can definitely get a lot of great content that's relevant, that's current, um, you know, you know, product releases and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Like, um, I think uh, it's not even who you're connected to, but if you, you know, follow companies and with the hat, with, ha with hashtags and that kind of stuff, you're, it, it seems to dial in the information that you're looking for pretty quickly. So, um, so I, I don't know, like, um, I, I will say though, that the, the level of enthusiasm of people in a building all at the same time was very, very high, just because I think everyone hasn't been doing it for so long that, uh, you know, there's just a lot of general enthusiasm just being at a trade show or a conference or whatever. Um, but I think there's going to be a happy mix of the two. I don't think you can, I personally don't think you can totally ignore going to industry shows and conferences because there is something to be said, you know, you still, I, I'm personally like to, um, stand and talk to somebody and have a discussion. And, and I, I think, you know, it's hard to do that digitally without scheduling uh, a video call or a zoom call or something like that. Um, you know, the natural collisions that happen at a trade show where people just happen to come by your booth or, or seek you out 
and you and you drill into a conversation and, and other people come around and you know you're you're demonstrating the scanners and stuff like that kind of dynamic you know i think there's still a place for that and and we get a lot of value out of it and we get a lot of great leads from from shows like that um but if you can take some even some of that content and share it through your channels and that kind of stuff i think you know it dovetails and and works very well together very complementary um and it also helps create content for for your channels too because i think that you know like you said earlier creating the content is 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 a, a, a lot of work and good content um is even well harder to create and you know and <laughs> it is there's not, not all content <laughs> yeah. is created equal like you don't want to put, put <laughs> 100%. you're not proud of right so. And that's, it can be challenging. A lot of, a lot of like industrial focus or B2B organizations, and I've heard you loud and clear, like R&D and kind of what you do in the science of like getting really geeking out on the technology to say the word science, but, and then the other side of it, which is obviously clearly you're a very sales driven organ organization. And you made the comment that very few leads will come in now, not having done their own research. And I heard, I read a stat of the day and I love, I love quoting stats. So easy. It makes you sound smarter, I think. And I heard, the, I heard another stat that 50% of stats quoted are actually wrong, but you know, who knows about that one? 87%, like a customer is typically 87% down the down the, the purchase path or down the customer journey or down the funnel, whichever diagram you want to use. By the time they actually reach out and connect, which also leads to usually a more technically oriented conversation. Like I quickly, I don't want to talk to a salesperson unless they're a technical salesperson because yeah. I've already done that. You're nodding. Do you say that's again, 87, roughly speaking, is that kind of your experience? Yeah. Um, I don't know percentage wise, um, but yeah, I'm yeah, being very precise yeah. with my 87.2%. Um, but I, you know, I think that like our business, I can't speak for everyone, but I mean, we're a very um, industrial, you know, um, focused business. Like, I, the salesy sale kind of thing doesn't go very far. Like, it, it, um, it might get you in the door, but um, you get rooted out pretty quick. Um, when we go in any kind of on-site demos, or if someone's calling here and calling. Um, you know, they probably have the spec sheets up in front of them. They probably have sample data in front of them. You know, they probably um, have watched uh, some YouTube. So it's pretty quick. It, you know, they can very quickly uh, tell whether or not you're uh, selling them a line or you actually know what it is that you're talking about. And I, you know, and I, and I think there's a, there is a debate. Like I, I've talked to many people in the, on the sales side of things that tell me that, I don't need to know anything technical about anything. I can sell whatever to anybody, right? And I'm like, I don't know if I buy that because, you know, at, you know, at least in our industry, it is a technical sale. I mean, you have to, um, you know, you have to be able to walk the talk. And, um, and at some point, you know, it's going to come home to roost. You have to be able to back it up at, at some point. And I, and I, yeah, and going back to differentiation, I think that's where we excel. Now, we don't win every deal. And, you know, it's the, you know, the classic, you win some, you lose some, but, but I would say, um, you know, whoever's winning those deals, you know, they're in the same boat. Now, here's the interesting thing though, um, with our business, uh, we've been at it like 13 years now, right? So 13 years ago, you know, or 10 years or five years ago, even like you might have somebody new come in and be much more dependent on a company like us for support and help and all that kind of stuff. If they go now, you know, say the scanner or the equipment or the process is five or six years old um, and they just want to replace that technology, um, you know, I think price and, and that kind of stuff becomes much more of a factor because they know how to 
you know, it's, it's a different device or it's a different workflow, but they've, they've got that internal knowledge now where maybe they're less dependent on, on somebody with, um, you know, with the kind of expertise that we would have in terms of support and help and, and development and that kind of thing. And, and maybe they're, they're just looking for a different device or, or, you know, adding another device. And, and, and then at that point, you know, pricing probably becomes, you know, our differentiation becomes a little bit diminished because, you know, we've, shared with them all of the information that they need to do what they need to do. And now they just, you know, need another scanner or whatever. Right. So, um, but the ideal situation there, which is, you know, I think there's trust. They know who you are. You've helped them in the past. Like there is that reality of retention. I think I love what you just said, because I think it captures there's, there's lots of rhetoric out there like, Oh, B2B, B2C. It's all the same because it's all just consumers. But you identified an element that is very different. The technical expertise, the length of the sale, the problem that you're solving, the level of education of your customer. You know, if I'm a salesperson who sells XYZ item to a consumer, it's probably maybe a little more about lifestyle, a little bit more about what it's going to do for them, how I'm going to empower them to have fun doing, using the thing, whatever it might be. Where when you did, when you're in technical sales, like sooner or later, you're going to roll up your sleeves and get into the details. Like, and if you're selling to engineers and like that level, they want that eight point font and those graphs and those charts. Like you might not get there the first couple of messages, yeah. but you're going to get there. <laughs> and you're right. I very quickly just, and I've learned this in, you know, creating technical oriented copy. If you use the wrong words, they're like, oh, wait a second. That's, that's, you clearly yeah. don't understand my space because you use that acronym incorrectly. Yeah. Like that really differentiates B2B from B2C, in my opinion, is you've got a technically oriented, yeah. really smart buyer. Yeah. And I, you know, and you know, the flip side of that is the worst possible thing you can do is sell something to somebody that isn't right for what they're using it for. You want to see something come home to roost <laughs> real fast, you know, sell something to somebody <laughs> for a hundred thousand bucks and then find out that it isn't what they expected or doesn't work like your salesperson said it would. Or yeah, actually not like what they need. You want to, they um, <laughs> that is an uncomfortable position to be in and, and one that uh, you don't want to <laughs> find yourself uh, in. So, so yeah, so I think, and that's why we spend the time that we do. And I think companies that are good in that, in that B2B space are, are spending time understanding, you know, you know, for us, it's the, the end goal and deliverable of our customers. Um, and if you don't, if you don't have a firm grasp on that and can de define it and, and find a, a workflow and a path to get there, you know, you're, you may, you don't want the sale if it even happens. Like it, you, until you get there and establish that, um, you're, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think you're, you're putting the cart in front of the horse, so to speak. And I would pull that farther. It's not as painful. And I agree with what you selling the wrong thing to the wrong person for a significant dollar amount. Cause now you've made them look bad in their organization. You've made your like, but also getting your marketing message right and being disciplined enough. I've seen a lot of marketing messages that are just designed to get somebody in the room. They, they're not actually true or they don't actually align. And I think it starts right from that first message they see about your organization and more importantly about the problem you're going to solve for them. It's, it's, you know, in our world, the subject matter experts, you know, your team, it's so critical that we pull that exactly that successful story and go, okay, let's back up six months from now. And what was the first message that stayed mm -hmm. true the whole way through? And that takes a lot of discipline. It's easy to talk about banging out content, but to pull a storyline through, it's like writing a novel that changes direction every chapter. You read two chapters, you're like, yeah. where the heck is this book going? I'm out of here. But yet marketing goes out there and it's like, well, we're going to go and we're going to talk about this thing over here and then we're going to go to a different direction or we're going to make some big kind of high flute and claim that discipline to then have your marketing match the six month sales process. It's not as, it doesn't hit you as hard as the wrong sale, but we, the, 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 the argument is you won't even get to the sale if you start off being fragmented. Yeah, and I think, way. I mean, that's a good point too. Like we have an online store where people can go and buy something and download it or, 
you know, buy something and have it ship. But I would say on on the sales side of things, it's not unheard of uh, for us to have a one or two year sales cycle. Like, I mean, seriously, I've had I've had sales that took five years to to complete, you know, by the time you get there. Now you have others that are, you know, much quicker, obviously, in shorter timelines, you know, but three months is not like, I mean, that would be a pretty quick turnaround. It's pretty rare that uh, I would say one to three months, you know, if you if somebody's done their research, uh, they've made the decision internally that they're wanting to bring this in house and then they're looking at the different technologies and comparing them. That's pretty, pretty fair. But if you're if you're starting from scratch with somebody, I mean, it can it can be a long long term deal and um, and you know include on site demos and benchmarks and you know kind of maybe even a sample project or job and again you know the whole engineering team here leans in on that it's not all on the on the technical sales uh, representative to uh, to do that on their own um, you know we'll lean into the into our into our uh, services team here to help with those deliverables or online demos if they're needed or whatnot so yeah that's it i don't know I mean, that's how we do it i mean i don't know how everybody else does it but i mean um you know that's <laughs> that's how we approach it and uh um and like i mean 3d scanning is you know when i said you know if you haven't heard about it you've been living on a rock i mean I mean that in that in the sense that people that are in manufacturing in the nicest wow. in the nicest way but in, in our business like NDT <laughs> and manufacturing and that of kind course. of stuff. Like I mean, if you're uh, if you own a tourist a rafting company in Jasper and you haven't heard about three D scanning, well, I mean, why would you? I mean, there's probably no application, and why would you? But uh, of course, I, I, the, the, the caveat that we'll throw out on top of all this is we're speaking about your ideal customer profile, and I think yeah. that's the key to all this. You're right; it's not really necessary to be relevant to someone who's not rel- yeah. who you're not relevant to either. It's got to it's got to go it's got to go both ways. I like what you said about the one to two year sales cycle. Just to touch on that, it wasn't just about how you nurture them with marketing. I heard maybe a sample project, maybe we go do a demo, maybe we go do a little engagement, like maybe we sell them a small piece to get the bigger piece. Like these sales are not just ones and done. They, it's a, it's a, you're building a relationship. And like you said, the bigger the number, the more there's little bites that get taken along the way before someone writes that quarter million dollar yeah. check or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and and the stuff that we sell is definitely an investment. Like it's a, it, it would fall under a capital budget nine times out of 10. Um, you know, it's, it's something that mm. needs to be budgeted, issued a purchase order, go through the purchasing department. Uh, after you've gotten through the engineering or the quality department, then it goes into the purchasing department. So, I mean, it, it does have a, there's a cycle and a, and a timeline involved. And, and like you said before, too, the people that are using it, making the decisions are also going to be held accountable internally for whatever they bring in house and how and what that return on investment is going to be for them and how that's going to reflect on them. Uh, having made the decision to go with us or whoever they decide to go with or what equipment and, and company and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of layers. Um, and uh, but I learned early on, like, I mean, we used to do this even back in the day when we had, you know, our other company and stuff. It, you know, it's rare, like, you know, people just aren't, like I said before, they aren't just going to trust you because you say it does this. Like, they're going to want to see it. Um, you know, yeah, it's fine. I see the spec sheet. It says it's good to, uh, subthal accuracy and 100 micron, you know, resolution, blah blah blah. But I need to see it on my part. I know you did it on that part, but I need to see it on my part. And it's like, okay, so uh, when can we come show you on your part? Because I mean, I and I get it. I want to see it too. Like, um, you know, so you just that's just part of the sales cycle. I mean, it uh, 
and and it's fun though. Like, I can tell you, in terms of our team here and some of the things that we enjoy, we have been in some facilities in companies that that what the work that they're doing, the things that they're doing, is so interesting, so amazing, fun to see um, the the processes and the yeah. It's just uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a lot of fun too. Like, so it's not like we mind going and doing this. It's it's great. It's what we do, and you get to go and you know you get you get to go behind the curtain on a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and so, so it's uh yeah, it's so it, it benefits them, but it also helps us see their operation, understand kind of uh, their working environment, and it's also very interesting and cool at the same time. A little passion and excitement yeah. goes goes a long way. I like I like I love seeing behind the curtain on just about anything. Hey, Chris, again, I'm going to keep picking on little little rabbit uh, little rabbit holes. It's something you said. There's an, usually an individual. There's a point person. But when you're typically selling to your ideal customer profile, like mid to larger organizations, how many people are involved in that purchase? Like how many stakeholders are kind of at the table that you need to get on board before the one person who has check authority or signing authority to go would typically say yes? Two, three, four, ten. What, what do you typically see? Four, three or four, kind of in that range. There's, there's always okay. going to be the the the, okay. the person or the department that really is uh, excited and interested in the technology and sees the applicability of it. And then they're probably going to have a, a quality manager or an engineer or, a, um, or somebody senior to them that probably has some control over the budget um, in, the, in the department itself. Um, you know, we've seen it many times where you think you've crossed the goal line with the, with the end users only to find out you know, there's actually somebody else that needs to be involved with the decision-making process. Most of the larger organizations will have a purchasing department. So once, once you've convinced the, say, the quality department or the engineering team or whatever that this is the way to go, um, you know, and then they've got some level of budget and budget approval at the department level, they'll then pass that off onto their um, buying team um, or their purchasing department. Um, and so I, I guess three is probably pretty normal. Um, four would be a bit excessive. I do. I will say with smaller businesses, what generally happens um, is there's somebody, a team of people that are quite keen on the technology, want to bring it in house, and then there would be a, an owner or a, a you know, a, you know a, an owner at some point would, that would come in. I would say sometimes the owners are are there and engaged right at the beginning. Yeah, oftentimes, though, the owner would come in after the fact and and either like it or not like it or, or prove it or throw the kibosh on it kind of thing so um and that's that's kind of in the yeah. in the smaller business realm which the interesting thing about small business is you know those guys are often the ones that are very innovative and 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 really kind of see the applicability of the technology the bigger organizations tend to be a little they, they see the value in it uh, but they're also being pitched by everybody and um and they have a lot more procedures and, you know, you know, cycles in terms of year ends and buying budget, all that kind of stuff, you know, issuing POs and that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I would say generally probably three. Um, it's, it's, you know, you've got to convince, you know, you, you know the, the, the users of the technology and, and the people on the shop floor that are using it day in and day out, they've got to like what, what you're presenting and see that it provides the results and the deliverables that they expect it to. And then usually they'll get to a budgetary and purchasing side at some point along the way. And, you know, we have master goods and services agreements with some of the bigger organizations around. Once you're established in, in, in their system, then... 
that yeah, sh- that, sh- that changes the whole different. dynamic. Uh, yeah. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you don't just uh, get an MGSA with anybody anytime. Like you have to establish yourself over time. Oh, you got to, yeah, those have, those are worth a lot because you have to, they they don't Mm -hmm. get given out loosely (laughs) when you're talking about that, that level of organization. But also once you're in, oftentimes then you'll be the first call because it's just easier to work with you because there's already an agreement in place. So those are, you know, the hugely valuable. Uh, Do you, when you're, when you're working with that three to four person buying group and you're in and you're kind of in the weeds of it, do you guys use, you know, this is interesting because now you get into sales enablement and you get into, um, you know, nurturing versus getting somebody to the point that you're, do you use a lot of content at that point or is it shifted now to their content and what's exactly relevant to them versus kind of more of a standardized broader set of, of potential YouTube videos example versus like no no my part my problem my my, my factory yeah I, I, the, the marketing content that we would generate and put out there would hopefully get us in the door right it, with the right organization and okay. um, with our ideal customer at that point everything shifts to their content um, it's uh, yeah it's it's all Which about their sense. stuff and um um yeah, i mean we can you know if we were doing uh you know on that initial meeting or whatever like there's it can you know this kind of stuff usually goes two ways they'll walk you in the front door and take you right out to the shop and you get to work or they'll take you into the boardroom and want to see a presentation and, and talk about the history of the company and what we do and how we do it and all that kind of stuff and and, and at that point i mean we're definitely working with our own marketing content and and um, you know, showing different applications and, and things that are relevant to them in general. Um, but once once it transitions to the shop floor, it's all about their content, all about their uh, applications, and uh, and 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 really, a, a, we call them benchmarks or or a prove out kind of a mm-hmm. process where where they're assessing our technology and the applicability and deliverables for them specifically. Do you guys use a lot of case studies? Is that is that something like do companies ask for it? Do you put it forward? Like it's kind of the universal. Oh, if you're in B two B industrial in any way, you got to have a case study or a white paper. Yeah, is that and, something you, you found know, to be true? We've done some our own. Some of you guys have helped us with uh, as well. Um, our OEMs um, have put uh, case studies together, so it kind of is a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely, people. Um, you know, case studies are a great way to kind of address uh, a specific need in an industry or even something general, like how 3D scanning can be applied to, you know, dents or corrosion or, you know, in just in generalities and in kind of use mm. in applications. Just different scenarios. Uh, but yeah, I know case studies are very effective and, and something that, um, you know, personally, I don't know, and maybe you know the question after this, Tyler, like nowadays, like with how quick <laughs> and easy it is to access information and how short, attention spans are i find white papers to be quite long and sometimes a bit uh you know tough to get through yeah you, you got to be committed so, to get into a white paper youtube <laughs> yeah, totally. video seems to um i don't know like if you can do the same thing through youtube uh versus a, a white paper um now white papers definitely have their their place and 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 i find that there's there's certain individuals and certain uh, industries that would rely more heavily on the white paper. And certainly if you're trying to differentiate, like if you're talking about differentiation, like we did before, you know, a good, a good solid white paper, um, on, you know, on a certain technology and the applicability, uh, you know, can go a long way, uh, certainly with certain, uh, organizations, um, you know, they, they may find more value in that than, than, than others. And I think it, back, I think you, we've, we've, we've 
it's all about the ICP. If you know, if you're selling into an industry that really, like, peer-reviewed and papers and journals, and they operate that way, a white paper is going to have more weight because that's how that industry gauges value. When you got somebody who's fast moving and you know maybe not as leaning that way, boom, you got your point across. Okay, wow. Okay, I think you can understand my problem now. Get in here and work on my problem. Like the point about going to the boardroom yeah. first or right to the shop floor. That's also the, just the DNA of different organizations and different industries. A little more cowboy on one, maybe a little bit more science and kind of. PhD level on the other. None are none are wrong unless you don't understand your ICP. And I think that's one underpinning theme of this all. If you don't understand your customer, then you're already you're already hooped when it comes yeah. to marketing. I, I would say like, well. um, like when we first started getting into the pipeline integrity world, like uh, the NDT world and corrosion assessment on pipe and pipelines, the original white papers that were developed, you know, by Creaform at the time that were very specific to the use and uh, the repeatability and the reproducibility of uh, deepest point analysis and worst case profile analysis and burst pressure calculations uh, for uh, corroded pipe. I mean, that same white paper today, like, I mean, that was, that was something that was done a while back, but hugely influential and, and critical in the process of kind of opening the door for 3D scanning in that whole NDT world, right? And so, mm. and that's a, an industry highly regulated, um, you know, no room for error, um, you know, tons of benchmarks, um, tons of comparable data, you know, measuring against existing uh, techniques, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's a that's a situation and an instance where, you know, a white paper is absolutely you know, critical and, and, and all the thought and process and background that goes into developing a good white paper you know, you have to answer and solve all those questions before you, before you before you publish that white paper. So you have to be pretty buttoned up. You know, so in, so in that when I think of it in that case, they, no YouTube video is going to do that. You know, a big pipeline owner and operator isn't going to go to YouTube and say, "Oh, I just saw this really cool technology. I think we should implement it." You know, for all of our pipelines in North America. No, like I think we need a little bit more than that. You know, so <laughs> white papers, benchmarks, all that kind of stuff. Well, that and yeah. Well, understanding where your customer's at, if it, is it a shift change in terms of like, hey, this is a whole new way of doing something versus where I'm listening to you talk now, a lot of 3D scanning has already been widely adopted and you know, we're using 3D mm -hmm. scanning. Whatever your business is, what cycle is your customer yeah. on? How comfortable are they? Are you the thought leader that's coming out with some bleeding edge technology? You're right. A, a 30 second YouTube video is probably not going to, sure. might get them to go read the yeah, white absolutely. paper, but it's not going to get the sale. And I think it's just really understanding the discipline. And this is where marketing can be challenged. Well, not can, it is challenging for a lot of companies because you got to really think it through or it becomes like, well, yeah. we wrote a white paper and it didn't do anything. Well, was it the right white yeah. paper? Did it get in front yeah. of the right? Anyways, there's so much more to it. So, hey, Ira, you and I can hit, keep hammering at this all day. I'm curious. Of course, now I've got, I've got you and you're my resident expert. Uh, top three things where marketing has really worked for you and, you know, over the years and like it's now today and you've learned a lot about marketing and where it's played and where it's not played. What are your kind of top three takeaways if you were even talking to Ira 10 years ago? Yeah, about I think marketing? the... Um no, like you know, we talked about um, developing content and developing good and relevant content and being able to um, uh, drive that ideal customer into the door. I think the number one thing that you know for me, good marketing and good marketing content is what makes the phone ring with the right with the person that you're looking for. And I, I feel like bad marketing is going to waste a lot of <laughs> your time. And so you can't even engage your sales team correctly and effectively if you haven't got um, the right marketing out there doing its uh, doing its thing for you 
uh, because you're just going to be tied up uh, dealing. Like here's my attitude with if someone calls or inquires, even if it's not our ideal customer, I feel, um, you know, I, you know, they, they deserve a response or they deserve some, you know, you, you just don't ignore people, right? You need to uh, reply and maybe guide them in a different direction or tell them maybe, you know, why you can't help them. So you're still dealing with that, with that lead. So to me, good marketing is all about, you know, developing content that's going to get the right person in the, in the door. And for us specifically, you know, we have some very specialized applications for corrosion analysis on, on tanks and vessels and, and elliptical heads and weird stuff like that. You know, we've developed some really nice, some really good content that helps, you know, when someone calls here and they're looking for that, like it's an easy transition to the sales team. Like, you know, this person, you know, knows exactly what we do and, and they've called to, to get some of that. So I think, you know, that's been good. I, I, I really find that, um, you know, the, uh, like I said, with the, you know, the, the example of the trade show and stuff last week and the use of LinkedIn and hashtags and YouTube, like those, that kind of content and, um, and that community that you can create digitally and, and over the web and stuff is becoming more and more critical and how that ties into your website and online store and, you know, all of your different channels and, and stuff too. Like uh, that, that content, you know, that good marketing content can dovetail into a lot of that. Um, and, and so you've got, you know, it's, it's like you have, you know, a whole bunch of different um, uh, avenues for people to find you and, and, to, and to give you a call or send you an email. And that's the other thing too, like a web form, we get a lot of leads that come through our, just our, our, our web forms or our, um, you know, a direct message through LinkedIn or Instagram. And, you know, if, if people find you all kinds of different ways, right? Um, the key for us, though, and I think it really, I mean, you could say top three, but I mean, the number one thing for me in terms of marketing is is getting the right message out there. So the phone is ringing with the right the right people, because, uh, um, you know, for us, you know, dealing with your ideal customer uh, is what makes the difference between, you know, whether we're successful or not. I mean, at the end of the day. And everything else will literally fall and build right underneath that. Ira, that's a good, I think you, that was a, I think two mic drop moments you had on this, on this episode, but rapid3d.ca, uh, check out your website. You guys got tons of information on here. So I would encourage anybody if they're curious to get to know you guys a little bit more. What if somebody wants to reach out, chat with you, chat with your company, reach out to you directly? What are any, any preferred, any preferred ways? I like, I'm old fashioned. I like talking on the phone or uh, doing a, a web call. So, uh, you know, uh, 587-352-0221. I mean, you can call us anytime. That gets me. Awesome. Um, and um, yeah, just emails, uh, ira at rapid3d.ca. Uh, that's uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me. And um, and yeah, as you can tell, I can talk about 3D scanning all day, every day. So, uh, <laughs> not a problem. You are rap- <laughs> you're, you're, you're a 3D scanning enthusiast and you're, you're clearly, uh, and I appreciate that because you guys, I know you, and I know your organization, you guys have a lot of passion for kind of, and I say this affectionately, geeking out on what you do. And that's who you want to buy this gear from, somebody who loves it and is always looking at ways to use it better. So yeah. kudos to you guys. And thanks for coming on and thanks for being honest and just having a good old fashioned conversation. I appreciate it. Well, Tyler, I appreciate you um, inviting me and uh, I'm a fan of the show too. And uh, a fan of you and uh, and uh, Clear Motive and, and uh, everything you guys do. So um, happy to be here and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, sir.